Welcome to Streaming Thoughts, where we stream our thoughts on movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I am Nathan. And welcome to our podcast. So Nathan, what is in the news docket today? All right. I guess we have to get this out of the way because it's all that's affecting everything we like to talk about. We previously talked about how Robert Pattinson got COVID-19 while was on the set of Batman. Yep. Remember that? Yeah, that seems to have caused a problem with their production schedule because it has been delayed from October 2021 into 2022. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is a very big delay. In other news, I think a lot of studios are still being very uncomfortable bringing things back into the theaters because Dune, that we both got super excited about, I think, last mm-hmm. episode, or maybe the episode before that, that has been pushed back no longer in December, not until October of next year. Yeah, I saw that. All these delays, this is going to be like, re- once they start releasing, have you looked at how crammed the release schedule is for late 2021 to 2022 now? Yeah, it's ridiculous. There are eight MCU movies scheduled to be released in 14 months. Yeah. But also wear your masks, people. Come on. (laughs) It's not even that hard. Seriously, wear your masks because we want to go back to seeing movies. Wear your masks. It's good. It will bring movies back. It's not inconvenient. It's your patriotic duty to help our country actually be one of the greatest countries in the world again. Come on. Come on. Don't you want movies? Wear your mask. But on that, there was something interesting that came up. They are making plans for the new Spider-Man 3 movie with Tom Holland. Yes. Spider-Man 1 had Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Mm Spider-Man 2 had Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury in it. That's right. Which Avenger do you think they are getting in for Spider-Man 3? Oh, I know which Avenger they're getting for Spider-Man 3. Are you kidding me? This is the thing I told you pre-show that I was so excited to talk about. Doctor Strange is going to be in Spider-Man. Oh, man. Do you know how much this got the rumor mills turning once they released that, yes, Doctor Strange is in Spider-Man 3? Also, that confirms the multiverse, essentially. Why would they bring him in if it wasn't for that purpose? That's the thing. That's how it's really got the rumor mill turning. Because you had Jamie Foxx, we talked about last week, how he said he was coming back to Spider-Man, right? Yeah, exactly. There's all these rumors coming out saying that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are both in talks to reprise their roles as Spider-Man. What's going on here? (laughs) Look, I would be so thrilled if all of these came true. I know that in previous episodes, we've talked about the possibility of a live-action Spider-Verse movie. I think so many people will be so happy if, you know, before the year ends, they're like, guys, yeah, sure, we're doing this. It's happening. It's happening. Overall, I would have to say, I kind of expect it still to be, if all this is true, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and talks to reprise their roles. I'm still kind of wondering, we know there's a Spider-Verse, Into the Spider-Verse 2 coming out. Yes. That seems like it still fits to me more than a Spider-Man 3. Right. I'm just being honest here. A lot of people are really excited over the idea of seeing Tobey Maguire back in the Spider-Man suit live action. Mm -hmm. I don't really blame him because the Raimi Spider-Man movies were really good. Yeah. But for the feel of an MCU movie, I'm not entirely sure about that yet. Oh, they're going to make it work. I know they're going to make it work. I know whoever is set to direct this is going to make it work. I have no doubt in my mind that the crossover is going to go really well. I'm just holding my breath, or not holding my breath, rather, for 
the fact that we're going to get everything we want, right? I mean, it's very possible that we're going to have a multiverse movie, but it might not be any of the Spider-Mans that we are expecting to see on screen. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of up in the air and it, there's a lot of possibilities. Right, they could really play with us and introduce something else. Like, I mean, Into the Spider-Verse was that, right? I mean, it introduced a bunch of Spider-People that weren't... A lot of people probably never heard of. Yeah, exactly. So they could do that. Another casting news that came out. Do you remember Hannah John Common from Ant-Man and the Wasp playing the character of Ghost? Yes. She has been confirmed to have been cast in the upcoming Resident Evil reboot. Resident Evil? Yeah, she's going to be Jill Valentine. Jill Valentine in Resident Evil. Wait, there's going to be another Resident Evil? Is it a reboot? Reboot. Oh, okay, okay, got it. It's disconnected from all the other ones. Yeah, it's not Mila Jovovich again. It's, got it. This is a reboot. They're relaunching it. It's kind of being based off some of the more recent Resident Evil games rather than the original movies yes. or the original games. And look, I mean, we do have all things nerdy in this podcast, so... If you haven't played the Resident Evil games, the reboots or the remakes, those are really good. Definitely recommend them. I mean, they're amazing. There's another actor confirmed to be in that Resident Evil reboot that I think you might like. Uh Uh-huh. Which one? Tom Hopper as Albert Wesker. Whoa. Tom Hopper as Albert Wesker. (laughs) And of course, you know, you should recognize that name from the Umbrella Academy to all of the listeners out there. Yes. Yes. Tom Hopper. He played Luther. I can see this character playing Wesker, though. I can see it. He's got that look. Yeah. I mean, take him off his gorilla suit, right? That's all you have to do, really. And Ghost looks a lot like the newer Resident Evil character, too. So yes, I think that's a great choice, both visually and her acting career definitely shows her being up for the task. One of the things that I like about Resident Evil stories is that you can play any of the games in any order. There is a timeline to the video games, but the way that those stories are set are so approachable because of the fact that you don't have to have played the first few Resident Evil games in order for you to understand what's happening here or value the story that's happening in the game. They're all interconnected with each other. And if they can do that same thing for the movies, that will be even better. And it will be also be bold, considering that most movies are trying to do the opposite, right? Of interconnecting this universe even more. We could also see that, right? Absolutely. A whole universe of Resident Evil movies with different characters. The original Resident Evil movies started to get a little bit over the top towards the end. I'm definitely fine with a reboot of the series. There's plenty of story to tell. Definitely. It's a good general action monster flick. I'm fine with it. I have no problem with rebooting this one. Also, I want one main character per movie. Like, I want this movie to be about Jill Valentine. I want the next movie to be about a different set of characters. I think that'll be even cooler. Instead of having one prominent character that we follow throughout a series, like it was in the current ones, I think having more diversity of stories would also enrich the franchise. Yeah, I agree. I can't remember this actually made it into our previous podcast. I kind of meant to talk to you about how Paramount has basically canceled all idea of having future iterations of Star Trek being movies Mm -hmm. and is now only focused on TV shows. No, we didn't talk about that, but that's not entirely surprising, to be honest. I feel like the strength of Star Trek had always been on TV yeah. and not on movies. For a long time, it was always Star Wars was the movies and Star Trek, you tuned in weekly for the serial show. And right. So that was... Interesting. But they are trying to focus on reestablishing a little bit more of the canon that they've lost in the recent years. Right. For example, Captain Janeway, played by 
Kate Mulgrew is coming back. Yes. Into a, the Star Trek Prodigy animated series. That's awesome. Yeah, I heard that the character was coming back. And that was really great. I didn't know that she was going to be in that particular series, though. It's a little bit up to the air. I mean, last we saw Captain Janeway, I believe she was made an admiral. Right. I do kind of wonder how much of a role she's going to have. I mean, is this just she shows up in the first pilot episode and doesn't show up again? Or yeah. is she going to be a reoccurring role? That That's kind of questionable. Yeah, it is. We'll see. I mean, I'm excited for it. I mean, it is going to be an animated series for Nickelodeon, too, though. So there's also that question of, are they going to give this, like, super kid-heavy, like, right. the Dragon Rescue Riders from the How to Train Your Dragon universe? Or are they going to try and make it appeal to both young and old, like the more Riders of Burke How to Train Your Dragon series? I hope it's the latter, right? If they want the show to be successful, they have to go down that route because the parents have to get something out of it. And typically, the most successful family-friendly series and movies have been the ones that tend to cater to both adults and kids yeah so it'll be interesting to see when the they start putting out trailers and promotional material for this one what you would think that that would give you a clear idea of what to expect but Mm -hmm. i've recently been lied to by a trailer (laughs) you know i saw this trailer it was said to me it looked like a great awesome action movie i was super excited to watch it yes not what we got at all no unfortunately it was not it was a bit of a disappointment and that movie should you choose to know its name so you can avoid it as well is (laughs) in the shadow of the moon this movie was directed by Jim Mickle and written by Gregory Whiteman and Jeffrey Talk. It stars a bunch of people that I did not know and or have seen in previous roles, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think the only person that I recognized was the protagonist of the movie, played by Boyd Holbrook. He was in Logan. Okay, I want to start with Boyd because... Despite everything else in this movie having a completely different genre feel from the trailer to the actual movie, I actually thought Boyd did a great job portraying this. Locke? Yeah, portraying Locke, who's this aging protagonist detective through multiple decades of his life as he is trying to unravel a really odd mystery. Yeah. His portrayal of this and his descent, his overall, his descent into the madness, the falling out, the losing respect, the obsession. He really carried all of these elements. Absolutely. His portrayal of that character was really well done. I really liked the way they wrote his character in that particular sense of that descent as you were talking about into that obsession, into that madness of, I cannot let this go. I will not let this go. That was really well done. Although I feel like we still spent a little too much time on that and not enough time on the granddaughter of Locke, who was a traveler, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, why this movie wasn't as interesting for me or where it lost its strength was that the trailer presented this character, Raya, in a more prominent way. And when we saw the movie, we didn't really get to explore her journey as much. I think that's where it failed. I think we should have seen more of her, you know, more screen time for that character versus the amount of screen time they got for Locke. That definitely would have been a different movie and a different take to follow her journey a little bit more closely. The idea of following Locke as a detective as he's trying to unravel what's going on and why this is going on was Mm -hmm. generally set up well. They avoided any major need for exposition, but at the same time... Because I was expecting a different movie, I think that tainted my view of it in the long run. Mm -hmm. There's a YouTube channel out there that will take 
existing movies and recut the trailer to look like different genres Mm -hmm. so they'll take an action movie and recut it to look like a comedy or a drama or a post-apocalyptic movie some of those are really funny by the way (laughs) yeah right and it really highlights how much you can shape a perception of a movie through the trailer and that's what this one was they set this up expecting as a action a time traveling action film with a mystery twist and you don't get any of that action it is a very slow burn throughout the movie it's very slow burn for sure and i also want to point out trailers are not done by the studios that make the movies yep the studios hire a third-party advertising consulting group that does all of that work their job is to basically promote your movie right to make it exciting and interesting and that's all they do also want to tell a story about another similar experience to this. Do you remember the movie Super? Yes. That's a movie with uh, Rain Wilson and Ellen Page. That movie presented itself in a trailer that I saw was a comedy, right? It was supposed to be hilarious and it was supposed to be really funny, like another version of Kick-Ass, right? Kind of in that same vein. It was not a comedy. <laughs> it was not a comedy. It was really dark. It, it was really violent too. Again, that's an example. I never saw the trailer for that one. I knew about Super because a friend had recommended it to me without seeing the trailer. So he told me what it was about. So I kind of knew to expect that darkness of the movie. But, and aside from the rape scene that's in there around the act two turning point i generally really enjoyed that movie yeah that's what i'm saying like i mean if i had known that that's what the movie was going to be you know if the trailer presented the movie in that light then yeah i would have had a completely different experience with the movie but i didn't and i think that that is what happened here it looked to be a way more action-packed more fast-paced and it really wasn't And that's why I was expecting more of the character Raya because I wanted to see that action packed. I wanted to see her infiltrate all of these places and inject all of these people with that thing and go through her missions. Because they were focusing on the slow burn, they weren't really showing much about what she was doing aside from when she came in direct interaction with Locke. If you think about it, a lot of that just doesn't really make sense. I mean, so some of these people got injected with this three needle you know machine in the back of their neck and then they just kind of go about their day as normal (laughs) until the trigger happened basically i'm sorry i just got injected in the back of the neck by a random person i'm gonna go back to work and drive this bus (laughs) why aren't you at the er why is she saying someone injected me with something? Yeah. What the heck is going on? Yeah, that's a good question, right? How did you inject someone? Maybe you injected them in their sleep. Yeah, so more of an action movie that would have given more of a viewpoint into what Rhea was doing and how she was doing it would have made the movie better. And you know, I just had a thought, and that was that if this movie was split into one half of Locke going through his life forward in time and trying to figure this out, and then we seen Rhea go backwards in time and they meet each other throughout time and seeing the movie end where it began, then I think people would have said, oh, Christopher Nolan just copied his idea from in the shadow of the moon. (laughs) Yeah, my wife was saying that she thought you were interested in this one because it reminded you of Tenet. (laughs) It really, yeah, I did. And that's exactly the reason why I wanted to see it because it looked like it was going to be that same premise of someone who's trying to end the world or save, or excuse me, someone trying to save the world by going through time 
in the past. And another aspect of it that really kind of let it down is they open up on this future where the entire world is on fire, there's broken glass, everything is just wrecked. Right. You keep thinking, okay, when is the act? And again, expect an action movie from the trailer. When is the action going to pick up and start leading us towards this destructive future? And then that never comes. Yeah. And at the very end of the movie, voiceover explaining, oh, the most dangerous civil war in America is going to be won without a single shot fired or some junk like that as they slowly kind of show some of the things being reversed, like an explosion going backwards or whatever. And they didn't even do all that good of a job with that effect. No, they really didn't. They did a few of them, but then ultimately they just kind of did a shifting fade wipe of two different scenes to go from destruction to non-destructive. And it's just like, you could have put a little more effort into this to at least end us with a wow. The weight of what Rhea was doing wasn't really felt at all in the entire movie. I was expecting that more of that heavy, like, you know, dropping this huge, like, and let me reveal what this accomplished, what this meant for the future. Yeah, there is no stakes in this. No, exactly. And that whole sequence just wasn't rewarding at the end. The resolution of this didn't even come down to Rhea convincing Locke that her mission has a solid purpose. The only thing that brought this to a resolution is his realization that she was his granddaughter that was being born on that day. Right, exactly. Which, by the way, or yeah... Maybe never mind. I also I, I had another thought about that that with with regards to the whole time travel situation, which kind of didn't make sense to me, and that was um, with regards to Rhea saying, "If I'm going to die, then that's already ha- if you if you saw me die in 1988, that's where I'm heading. That means that's what's going to happen." And there's nothing we can do to change that, right? But they still change the future by undoing but they still, the exactly. Another really big failure of this movie was also in that sense. The science of it, of the whole time travel thing, the rules that they established were garbage. They were in complete conflict with each other. And that is a really important rule whenever you're writing for a time travel movie or TV show is don't have your rules contradict themselves. You have to establish firm rules. It's like, oh, I can't stop anything until my mission is complete. So if my mission starts with you telling me that I die, then I'm going to end with the death that you already saw. And it's like, no. No, 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 no. All you have to do is say, when you get to 1988, don't go down to the subway and you'll be fine. Right. Just do that. Especially if, like you're saying, by these rules, what they're doing is trying to change the future. And they succeed in changing the future, which, as we all know, classic grandfather paradox. She changes the future, so the Civil War never happens, so she never has to go back in time to change the future. Therefore, none of this should have happened anyway. But they're saying it does happen. And it can happen. So why can't she be warned about her own impending death? Exactly. Future is a matter of perspective in this case, right? Because she's going back in time, but technically it's still her future. If you go back into the past, the past becomes your future and your past (laughs) cannot be changed by your new future. (laughs) (laughs) Endgame rules. Endgame rules. Simple. Right? It's simple rules. Exactly. And again, like in Tenet, for example, had their rules set up of, well, everything is still cause and effect no matter which time direction you're going in time. But at the same time, 
what causes the cause and effect is unclear. And it's just, they mention the possibility of paradox, right. but they never deal with it. So, But they never, exactly. And that is how you do it, right? Instead, what this movie did was, so the moon <laughs> has this thing, and this thing is what makes this thing happen. And I was just sitting there thinking, that's not how the moon works. <laughs> that's not how the moon works. I mean, maybe if you're time travel devices based off of crystals and positive feelings and yeah sure <laughs> the moon can influence exactly. the windows for time yeah, travel right i kind of got what they were trying to do and that's why they were tying up her time travel thing in, with a bubble filled with water because we know the moon's gravitational pull affects water and all this other stuff but it's just like i get it but it's just really stupid <laughs> It really is. I mean, it really is. I would have rather not have an explanation at all like they did in Tenet. Yeah. Just saying like, look, we don't understand, but this is happening. Yeah, I figured it out. She's a time traveler. Her time travel jumps happen at nine-year intervals. Why is that? I don't know. That's just how it happens. Right, exactly. And someone could have said, some uh, pseudoscientist said that the moon, but there's nothing that could show that the moon could affect any of this time travel. I mean, we're talking about bending space and time. I mean, let's be honest. I did like their response of, oh, you should go to this hack news station because they'll give you all night to talk because about they'll that give kind you, of yeah. stuff. <laughs> that response was cool. I I really like that response. And then it turned out to be true. And they're like, come on. <laughs> right. But even that, I felt, I felt like how they set that up was even just really poorly done because we didn't even encountered anything related to that at all, except for those couple of scenes when we see uh, Rhea emerge or get into her container that you know the container that allows her to travel beyond that we never it never really got explained how that technology worked and how it was used and how she travels like none of that and i think that again if you're gonna take the time to explain this or give away some explanation that you need to take the time to give us more of that so that we can appreciate that when they recovered her body after being hit by the train they dug a bullet out of her arm that was shot by his service revolver, even though there is no evidence that his gun was fired that night. Yeah, that introduces the idea that there's some weird time thing going on. Right. And they showed a little bit when she got shot. Uh, we did see her get shot. So mm -hmm. at least there's that. Yeah, so they have some consistency in it, but the inconsistency with their own rules and their own goal and purpose of it is what makes it not really work well. Yeah, exactly. And... Let's talk about Locke. He becomes pretty obsessed with this crazy idea that this girl's time traveling. I can see how that would make him lose his job. But you know what? There was a more egregious thing that he has been doing in this movie. Okay, what's that? Wake up, daughter. Happy birthday. But before we can go celebrate your birthday, we have to take you to visit your mom's grave so you remember that she died today. Right. How is that not going to give her a complex? <laughs> Locke is a terrible father throughout the movie. It wasn't until the very end when he started to be a better person and a better father. Before that, he was just consumed by his obsession with this. He neglected so many of his relationships with very important people in his life all in the pursuit of this. But yeah, he was a terrible person <laughs> to his daughter. I mean, <laughs> the day of her birthday, they were supposed to go to the zoo. And he's like, let me just take you to a crime scene. If you don't mind waiting here in the car, no big deal. It's going to be a moment. And then it's like, dude, are you kidding 
me? Help me with the paperwork. Uh, can, <laughs> right. can, can you like, fetch this box of evidence? It's her I'm sure birthday. No I'm sure the DA won't have any issue finding out that the evidence was handled by a you know nine-year-old girl. Exactly. And I'm like, it's her birthday. She should be at the zoo enjoying her day. Yeah, take me to a zoo on my birthday. I love the zoo. That would be a great birthday for me when I was her age. Not taking me to crime yeah. scenes and making me fall asleep in the back room of a police precinct and then abandoning her there to go chase a lead that he technically legally couldn't even actually chase because the airfield was shut down. So, I mean, even if he found anything useful, he broke in without a warrant. If you manage to get any advancement, that is going to be so torn apart by the defense. I mean, come on, man. Yes. File for a warrant. Take your daughter to the to the zoo. Have a good day. Pick it up tomorrow. Come on. Don't be so obsessed. Yes, exactly. But like I said, I think ultimately we just spend so much time on that, right? I mean, I really wanted to see more of the other characters. And even that whole progression of his obsessiveness throughout the decades, even that at times felt a little drawn out. We didn't really need to go through all of that only to get to the last 10 or 15 minutes of the movie where we actually get some like, oh, this is what's happening. Got it. Okay. So I just felt like I just watched this man progressively ruin his life. Destroy his life. Yeah. You know, a lesson for you. Don't destroy your life over, you know, random conspiracy theories of time travel, man. Come on. <laughs> yes. And there's not even any payoff for it either, where he is doing all this stuff and he gets some sort of success or reward. As I said, it was just, oh, that's what's going on. Well, I guess I can't stop you with my obsession now. So, oh, well, I right. will just go visit my daughter in the hospital and see if I can't make amends for being a lousy dad for the past, what, God, how old would she have been by then? 27, 36, 27. something like that? Yeah. You know, that's not an easy thing to come back from being that lousy dad for three decades of a person's life and then suddenly be like, oh, you have a granddaughter. I guess I'll suddenly become a perfect dad. No. Yeah, but, exactly. No. Not how it works. Definitely not how it works. And also, I just remembered that even within the movie, there was that inconsistency because earlier in the movie, I think it was in the in the 90s, I think, when Rhea pretty much told Locke that you got to let this go. Just focus on your daughter. I seen what this bath does to you. Yeah, right before the they ended up in the plane and crashing, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and that was another one that I didn't really get because after that moment, we see that she needs that contraption in the bubble machine to time travel. But how did she get from the plane to the bubble to be able to time travel back to the previous time? They just made it seem like just because she was in the water that was sufficient enough for her to time travel. Right. But then all of a sudden, it required this other device. So why would she have also time traveled with the keys for the plane at that point. Yeah, that's a really good point, right? I don't know why she would do that. I don't know. That scene didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. If it was a better movie, I'd be going back to rewatching that scene just to try and get a better idea of what actually happened if it was a better movie. I will say one good thing about this movie, the makeup department. Some of that stuff was really gory, which obviously required a lot of makeup and a lot of ingenuity to make that all of that happen. And good job on that. Even on the more uh, subtle things like showing Locke aging with just the hair and prosthetics and the makeup, that was done really well. I will say that the final Locke that we saw, 
I feel like the jump from that to the previous lock wasn't that big of a change in terms of his age, to be honest with you. I didn't really notice it that much. I mean, he was his hair was a bit scragglier. He had a bit more of a kind of a sunken appearance, and I, I could see it. I mean, it was a little bit more subtle than the, I'm a young detective, I'm a clean-cut older detective, oh, I'm a has-been. That was a huge change. So then the last change was, you know, admittedly not as drastic, I think is what that was. But yeah, I could see it. I could see him as a single person aging without any additional computer effects. They just did a pretty good job with his makeup and his hair, I thought. Good job, makeup department. You guys did great. The general filming of the movie was pretty good, too. Overall, the cinematography of it. Mm -hmm. I rather enjoyed the way that they filmed the car crash where the van was rolling. Yes. Although there was one aspect where it looked like the van came to a stop when it crashed forward into a tree, even though it was previously rolling on its side. That seemed Mm -hmm. a bit inconsistent. But overall, the inside view of it was fairly well done scene. I am curious to know how much of that was practical versus digital, right? A little bit of advice for the uh, mad scientists out there. If the guy you kidnapped to allow the time travel loop to continue is suddenly going for a gun in the back of an open van with no seatbelt, and you have a seatbelt, and you're driving 50, 60 miles down a highway, just slam on the brakes. That will keep him from getting the gun. Do not jump out of the driver's seat to wrestle with him in the back of an uncontrolled moving van. That is a bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) It pays to hold lots of PhDs in lots of different fields, but, you know, sometimes those don't help out when it comes to kidnapping people, for example. (laughs) I mean, come on. One of his PhDs had to have been in physics. He should have known what was going to happen. How to apply his knowledge of physics to kidnapping situations? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Let's just jump into our TLDL. Too long didn't listen. So, Nathan, in the shadow of the moon, TLDL. I think with your expectations set right, if you're expecting a slow movie of a cop investigating something that is impossible from his point of view, but more and more believing in it, if you're looking for a character study of someone just destroying their life through an obsession that no one else is ever going to believe, this could probably be a good movie for you looking at that. Yeah. If you're looking for a good action movie about time travel and reverse time and all that, go see Tenet. (laughs) Yes. It really is that. To that, I will also add, if you also don't care about the science of how the whole time travel thing works, because if you do care about that, you're going to be annoyed at this movie. I do have a final question for you. If you did have the ability to change the past by only jumping every nine years, what event would it be that you would try to undo? I don't know if I would, to be honest. Oh, you know what? I actually would go and change my moment, and that would be the day before I put away the copy of Legend of Zelda for the Nintendo Entertainment System. (laughs) I had a gold copy of that, and I regret losing it. That's where I would go. Jeez, here, I thought you were going to say something like going back to stop COVID-19 or something. I I couldn't have done anything about that. Are you kidding me? I would have sounded like someone who just was spewing all this conspiracy nonsense. You get time travel, you feel obligated to stop these things, but there's not much that a random person would be able to actually do in a lot of these cases without sounding crazy. That's why I'm just going to go for my personal copy of Legend of Zelda. But hey, if you want to tell us what you would do with those newfound powers, let us know on 
Facebook at Streaming Thoughts and on Twitter at Streaming Geek. This has been Nathan. And this has been Daniel. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.